Hi, and welcome to Storytime with Rabbi Itziers. Hi, everyone. I am your host, Rabbi Itziers, together with... Me, Yossi, his sidekick. Yay! At this time, I would like to remind everybody that you are listening to jradio.com. If you would like to listen to us on the telephone, you can listen to us by dialing 712-432-4217. That number again is 712-432-4217. The number to call after the show, after the story that is, to tell us your name and what lesson you learned in tonight's story is 718-683-5858. Very good, Yassi. And, of course, if you'd like to listen to us live or on the archives, you can call 718-506-9099. That number again is 718-506-9099. And just follow the menu if you want to listen to us live or follow the archives. I would also like to take this moment to remind you that j Radio can definitely use your donations. So, the address is Javit Radio, 2829 Nostrand Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11229. That address again is Javit Radio, 2829 Nostrand Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11229. And if you would like to text in to ask for information how to sponsor or to how to advertise on jwitradio.com, the number to text in is 347-927-8398. If you would also like to suggest a story for me to tell, and you'd like to give over all the information and all the details of it, and uh, or possibly the source for it, you may also text in 347-927-8398, and it will be forwarded to me. Yes. Okay, my turn, Rabbi Herbs. Okay, if anyone is looking to hire Rabbi Yitzhi Herbs for either storytelling, kayak from the Mayach, extreme martial arts demo, uh, you know, whether it be for, uh, you know, of a subordinate program, uh, uh, your, your yeshiva, your banos, your base yakov, whatever, your school, a private party, or a day camp, a bungalow colony, or sleepaway camp. So, of course, the number to call is 718. 718- 375-1294. That number again is 718-375-1294. Also, you should be aware, if anybody's interested uh, for information about art lessons, martial arts lessons, you know, perhaps karate, uh, private karate lessons, Qigong energy lessons, and so on, uh, you could call also 718-375-1294 for more information. And please be aware that Rabbi Erbs's books are still available in your local farm store, along with many of his CDs and a new one, too. And for those CDs that are not in the stores, you could call Rabbi Yitzhi at 718-375-1294, and he will be more than happy to send you a complete list, either by email or fax. Wow, did I get everything in? I think so. I think we can now start our story. Okay, so it's time to tell our story, right? <laughs> That's right, you just said so before. Okay, so I have a, a very interesting story. It's a little bit different than the usual story type, 
And, um, you know, it's uh, based on a true story. And, of course, I will be changing names accordingly because, uh, number one, is in the book that I saw that had this amazing story. Um, basically, it did not say the person's name. I know, and you don't like to say Poloni Bembaloni or Pastrami Sandwich with lettuce and pickles and whatever, right? <coughs> very good, you see? That's correct. So I want to tell a very smooth and good story. So, but I think I'm telling it this time a little different than the usual way. You know, I'm not sure I follow. You'll see in a minute. Okay, now we do know that the Chachomim tell us, for example, there's a Medrash in uh, Tanhuma, in Parashas Yisroi, which tells us that, um, uh, that there was a very interesting, everlasting impression that when Yidin stood by Har Sinai to get the Torah, by the Matan Torah business, you know that, um, it says over there, and the Medrash brings down, that every Neshama was there. Every Yiddish Neshama that was going to be was there. So therefore, what it means is that this impression that the Neshama had is so stark, so strong, that even a Yid who has strayed far from his roots, far from the roots of Yiddishkeit, far from Judaism, can ultimately... Uh, what's the word? Ultimately. Uh, ultimately. I thought you said that. Yeah, I was trying to. Anyway, so uh, he can ultimately find his way back to Yiddishkeit. Wow! Sounds cavaldic. So this story has to do with something like that? Yes. As a matter of fact, this story is, like, super amazing. I kind of uh, uh, read it over Schwiz. On Schwiz? You weren't learning? Oh, no, 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 no. I was learning on Schwiz. I was reading this uh, story in a uh, sefer that was talking about Shuis and brought this about that through Taira and learning, you can get closer to Yiddishkeit. And when you find it, you don't say to the Taira, you don't say, oh, this is too much for me. Oh, it's so hard. I'll just be a year that keeps Shabbos and kosher. That's fine enough for me. Nope, that's not good enough. You have to keep Torah. And one of the ways of keeping it is by learning Torah. Because when you learn Torah, you know how to do more mitzvahs. And not only that, the mitzvahs that you do, uh, you understand them better, and that means you can keep them better. Okay, got that? I think so. Okay. So, uh, so what's the name of the story? Oh, the name of the story? I think I would call it uh, Operation Desert Storm. Operation Desert Storm? I mean, wasn't it called originally Operation Desert Shield or something like that? Well, if you're talking about the same war that I am talking about, that was from August 2nd, 1990 to February 28th, 1991, we're talking about the same war. But originally, the first part of the operation was called Desert Field. The reason why it was called Desert Field, because in the fields of the Saudi Arabia and everything like that, the Americans were formulating a coalition. A who? A coalition. What's a coalition? Oh, that's like when a group of nations, for example, get together and they work together for the same cause. 
So the president of the United States at that time, Georgie Bush, okay, so he went over and he uh, organized a group of a coalition of 35 nations. But of course, the one that had the most soldiers and the most armament and had the most say in it was the United States. Okay, and they wanted to, uh, in well, let's put it this way. Iraq at that time, uh, they invaded Kuwait, and they took it over, and they wanted to annex it to them. They want to sit next to them? No, no, annex it, uh, you know, to annex it, you know, to, like, make it part of Iraq. Oh, wow, why did they do that? Well, you see, the reason was, you see, Kuwait was producing a lot of oil. And if you produce a lot of oil, it's a very oil-rich country, obviously. Uh So being that it's a very oil-rich country, so what ended up happening is, are you ready for this? I'm always ready. Okay, so what happens is that if you don't produce so much oil, you obviously need oil, so you charge. Why do we need oil? Hank is not now. No, 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 no. You see... Oil is turned into gas, and gas is used for your cars and so on. I oh, got it, got it, got it, like petroleum and everything. That's right, like plastics are made with that and everything. Uh-huh, okay, so if you have too little and there's a big demand, so the price goes up, supply and demand, right? That's right. But Kuwait was producing a lot of oil, which brought the oil prices down, from, let's say, about, um, I think it was $18 a barrel down to about, I think, $9 a barrel, maybe less, something like that. Anyways, uh, so what happened was is Iraq was very upset about it because that meant that they were losing money as much as maybe a couple of billion dollars, maybe $7 billion or something like that. They were losing so much money. Why? Why, 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 why? why is it called losing money? Uh, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, why can't there be a man to charge a normal price and they can make a profit? I mean, why can't they do all that money and everything? Uh, a good point, good point. But that's not the way they looked at it. The way they looked at it was they got to stop Kuwait, take over the oil, and this way they control it and they can have the prices that they want. And that's what they wanted to do. And of course, you just can't go and march into another country without a real just cause and take it over. And let the world sit by and do nothing? No, 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 no. So, of course, they wanted to do something. That is, United States felt. Because if they were interfering with the cost of oil and everything like this, so therefore, it was affecting the United States as well. So, therefore, what happened was is, they decided that once Iraq invaded Kuwait and took it over, they weren't going to stop there. They decided they probably want to try to go over and take over Saudi Arabia, too, which is also an oil-producing company. Uh, 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 oil-producing country. That, yeah, that's the word I wanted to use. Yeah, so anyways, so what happened was as follows. So uh, uh, Iraq invaded, took it over, and so on and so forth, and the coalition was formed. Okay, got that part so far? Uh-huh. So now I want to focus now on a boy. Ah, uh, boy, what's it got to do with this? Uh, well, he was about, uh, you know, I would say about probably 19 years old at the time of the story. Uh, but anyway, so let me tell you what happened. Uh, you know, uh, he was in the war. He was? What's his name? It doesn't say, so we're going to call him, 
Yeah, he said, me? I wasn't there. No, no, no. You're not the only Yossi in the world. Ah, Baruch Hashem. Yeah, Baruch Hashem is right. Okay, so anyway, well, I, I, I just, 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 just kidding. Don't worry, don't worry. You're a good tzaddikal. Okay, so anyways, uh, at that time he was known as Joe, okay? And later, later he pushed himself to be called Joseph. And later he pushed himself to be Yosef. So we're going to pick up the story to go forward and then go backwards. And go forward and I got what? Yes, yes, you'll see. You see what I mean. Don't worry. You see, first, we're going to go back uh, in time. And then we're going to go to the future in time. Huh? Well, you know what? I like the uh, better. You know what? We're going to go in the future in time and then go backwards. What? Okay, now that I got you confused. So while you're thinking about what I'm doing, so you won't interrupt so much. Uh, uh, maybe. Okay. Uh, could be. Well, okay. Uh, that's what I thought. Okay, so let me tell you what happened. It was after the Iraqi war was over, after the, you know, the Operation Desert Storm was over. And you weren't telling me, I mean, weren't you going to tell me how to go from Operation Desert Storm to become Operation Desert Shield, I mean, Desert Shield to Desert Storm? Okay, okay. So originally it was called Desert Shield because they were building up the troops in Saudi Arabia, building up their defenses over there and the weaponry and everything, getting ready for war. Once they started the battle, it was called Operation Desert Storm. Now, this person, Joe, as we're going to call him right now, uh, he would later be called Yosef by his real Hebrew name. And he went over, and after the war was over, he finished his tour of his army, uh, meaning, you know, he finished his, his uh, you know, his duty in the army. And then, after he finished his duty in the army, so he went and he wanted to go and join a yeshiva. Wow. Okay. So, uh, we're picking up the story at the end of the story and then going backwards. You got it. Okay, so here he was sitting in front of this yeshiva. Now, it was a Kirov yeshiva, obviously. Why, obviously? Well, because uh, Joe wasn't originally from. And then when he started to come a little bit from, he still wasn't from enough. So he couldn't go to a regular uh, yeshiva yet. So he had to first go to a Kirv yeshiva. Okay? Now, I don't know what the name of the Kirv yeshiva is because it didn't say in the book. But it just said it was a Kirv yeshiva. And it seemed to be that being that this story I'm telling is a true story, so the person doesn't want his name to be known, and he doesn't want the name of the yeshiva to be known, so this way people will learn a lesson from the story so they could never give up on the Yiddishkeit and never think, oh, I didn't know I was Jewish until you told me. It was probably so many years like this, so... Uh, how can it be that I should become religious? I'll just uh, be the way I am, you know? Nope, 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 nope. Your neshama. I know. Our neshama stood by Harsinai. And the pintalayin is burning within. And once you kindle it, you can't stop it unless you put it out. But you don't want to put it out because once you see the pintalayin lighting and burning, ah, the geschmackkeit of... What was the word I'm looking for? The geschmackkeit of Yiddishkeit. Right, that's a rhyme. The Geschmackkeit of Yiddishkeit. Right, it's so great that you want to do it more and more. So we're not going to say the name of the Kirov Yeshiva. That's right, we're not going to say the name of the Kirov Yeshiva. Okay, so what are we going to say? We're going to say it was a Kirov Yeshiva, and he finished his tour, 
uh, in the army, and now he was coming for his interview. Okay, we're going to pick up over there. And what fell down over there? We have to pick up something? No, no, no. Wait, wait. The story. We're starting from there. Okay, go right ahead. All right. Uh, very interesting over here. Let's see. Uh, your your name is Joe. Is that the name? Okay. The Rosh Hashiva will see you now. Uh, you go straight in there. I just knock and then go in. Sure thing. Thank you very much. I appreciate everything you're saying to me. Appreciate it all. Thank you. Wow, he talked with a southern accent? Uh, yeah, he originally came from Illinois. Oh, wow, cool. Isn't that Midwest? Uh, come from Midwest. Uh, yeah, whatever you come from is fine. It's okay, it's just a story. Uh, yeah, but it's a true story. It's my story. Oh, okay. You want us to be inspired by it? I sure do. Okay, so let me go inside. Yes, come in, please. Thank you. Oh, please, have a seat. So your name is, uh, Yosef, yes? Oh, uh, yes, that's right. My name is Yosef. Uh, a lot of people call me Joe, but I don't know what the Rosh Hashiva wants to call me. I see. Uh, you picked this yeshiva for a reason. You know, it's strictly, mostly, I mean, well, there are regulars here too, but most of us here are Bali Chuba, and that's why our learning levels have various different levels here. To, depending on the level of a person's Yiddish guide. So, uh, what made you pick this place? Well, to tell you the truth, I have a brother-in-law. Uh, was it brother-in-law? No, sorry, my uncle. Was my uncle? My wife's brother? Yeah, my uncle, my uncle. Yeah, you see, I have an uncle, and his name is Herschel. He is very uh, religious. He always was and everything. And I'm going to tell you something about him. Uh, see, uh, what he did was... Um, he was like, you know, like really religious and everything. And, and, uh, you know, like he was working on me or something like that. And, um, uh, he said that this is the place that would be good for me and I should go here and I could develop it and I could grow here and, and everything. What? He wants to grow here? He didn't have here? 19 years old, he was bald? No, 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 no. Grow here meaning in that place, to grow right there. Uh-oh, uh here, as an H-E-R-E. -E. Uh, yeah, 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 that's right. Okay, uh, um, back to you, uh, Joe. Uh, yeah, so, uh, Rosha, Yeshiva, I just want you to know that my, my, I trust my brother-in-law, Herschel. He guides me the right way, and I, I really want to be here, and I'm definitely going to be here, and, and I'm going to take my learning serious as possible. Okay, and now I'm finished with my army uh, tour, so I, I, I'm free, and uh, I, I can do it, and uh, I really want to do it. Uh, I see. Very interesting. And if you don't mind telling me, uh, when did you become, uh, or start to become a Balchuva, uh, if you don't mind me telling you? Well, I don't mind telling you. Are you going to find this kind of strange? I don't find anything kind. I'm, uh, well, um, maybe you think I would find it strange, but uh, I don't find it strange. I run a yeshiva that works on bringing Bala Tshuva up to par. They should fit into our Yiddish society. And so I've heard all kinds of stories, yes. I bet you're going to tell me that you didn't even know you were Jewish. Hey, you know my story? You know my story? Uh, no, I don't. But I guess I figured... That the way you're starting to tell me, you probably want to tell me. Okay, so go ahead. Tell me your story. I have time. I gave you no time limit 
to your interview. Go ahead. Well, why, why do you need to know this anyways? Because how would this help me? Ah, because if I get to know your background, I get to know how to handle you. I get to know your, uh, your how you function and what makes you tick, you understand? And this way, if I know what makes you tick, then, of course, I can help you become a better learner and a better ball tuba. And that's the way it is. So what do you say? So tell me your story. Uh, all right, all right. I, I, I'm going to tell you my story. You see, actually, until I was about 17 years old, I actually had no idea that I was even Jewish. Uh-huh, I see. Yep, yep, yep. You see, I found out later that my mama, you know, she came from a very observant home, a very religious home back in Europe originally, where uh, the, the uh, uh, what you call it, a shop, shop, Shabbos Kodesh. Yeah, yeah, right. The Shabbos Kodesh. Um, and, and other mitzvahs were very strictly observed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So her father's family, my mother's father, that's my mama's father. Anyway, so uh, she, she, that, that family was very, very from, um, you know, they were highly religious. I guess, you know, in my terms, I guess it would be called they were devoutly religious, you know. And anyways, and they were highly respected in the community back in Europe and everything. Now, uh, gradually, what happened was is my 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 mama's parents they they they, you know, they came to to America and everything, and then things were tough in America. In in you know, uh, and it was you know there there became some um, I don't know if you want to call it mach 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 yeah arguments you know things like that, and there were these arguments and everything, and what ended up happening you're never gonna believe this. But I'm going to tell you anyways, they got divorced. Yep, yep, they got divorced. My parents, my, uh, not my, sorry, not my parents, my mother's parents. Yeah, 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 right, right. So my mother's parents divorced when she was pretty young. And uh, it ended up that my mama stayed with her mama. You understand? So, uh, and then my mama, she uh, did not go, uh, you know, in, in early years, you know, they, they went to, uh, it was no, like, um, Jewish schools or something like that, and she was a lady, she was a girl of mine, I guess. And so whatever the bottom line is, that my mama, she attended a public school in those days, and uh, she grew up in a community where religious observance was very weak. And Jewish people, they assimilated, and they assimilated quite a lot. Yes, I know about those days. Yes, and we still have some assimilation today as well. It's a uh, work of the Yet Sahara. Uh, go ahead, and missionaries always jump on this. Go ahead, tell me more. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened was is, so uh, during my mama's teenage years, uh, my mama drifted away from the religious practices more and more. Because, you know, you know, it's one thing like growing up that you're Jewish and and being religious and everything, but if everybody around you is not religious, not Jewish, and nothing's done that resembles Judaism or anything like that, so sometimes what ends up happening is you just lose your interest in the religion itself, too. So uh, my mama, she's just straight away. She drifted away from the Yiddish kite, I guess that's what you call it, and, uh, you know, um, she, you know... Uh, she eventually, you know, met my father, 
And my father obviously was not religious either. And they met and they married. Now, when I was born and I was a little itty bitty kid, I never heard the word Jew even mentioned. Not by my mother, not by my father. Because in their minds, it wasn't even necessary. I see what you mean. You mean they didn't talk about Yiddishkeit whatsoever? Not even Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Absolutely not. As I was telling you before, until I was 17, I had no idea. I had no idea that I was Jewish. So anyways, so let me tell you what happened. You see, eventually, and I hope it doesn't run in the family because I hope when I get married, I don't get divorced. You know what I'm saying? I hope so too. Uh, you know, if you look for the right things and you don't look for materialistic things, then obviously a marriage will last, you understand? Uh, you, you understand? Oh, oh, forgot, you don't understand this yet. Anyways, if a love is dependent on something, and when that something disappears, then the love disappears, you understand? And that's why many divorces happen. But if a person loves a person for the person the way it is, or she is, or he is, then usually the marriage doesn't fall apart because they grow together. You understand? And of course, if you have a good foundation with your marriage, if you have a good foundation, meaning you have a Torah life to live, you have a purpose in life, if you have a purpose in life, then usually what happens is there's no reason to get divorced. It's those people that forget what their true purpose is in life. Those are the ones, unfortunately, who usually get divorced. Okay, I'm sure there must be other reasons too, but we're not going to discuss that. Go ahead, tell me more. Well, anyways, it just so happens that, um, you know, my, my father and my mother, like I said, they never talked about anything Jewish. They didn't even tell me I was Jewish. But eventually, when I was about four years old, yep, four years old, my parents divorced. Yep, they got divorced. And I ended up staying with my father because I liked my father on the farm. I liked the farmer. You know what I'm saying? And that was out in the Midwest. But my mama, she ended up uh, eventually going to the, to the uh, what do you call it, the Mideast. No, not the Mideast. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, what's that word called? The East Coast. Yeah, like New York. Anyways, so anyway, so here's what happened. Go ahead. It's a very interesting story. If I bore you, let me know. Oh, no, no. No story that shows the greatness of Yiddishkeit is ever boring to me. No, no, no. Every story that shows how the spark of Yiddishkeit came and brought a person back to Yiddishkeit or woke him up to his Yiddishkeit, and especially if he didn't know about it, that's very inspiring. Your story can inspire others. So yes, I would like to hear your whole story. All right, all right. So let me tell you what happened. So what happened was is, like I said before. Yes, I know. Until you were 17 years old, you didn't know you were Jewish. So I assume that you visited your mother sometimes. And sometimes you visited, uh, actually, you stayed by your father. Yeah, yeah, I stayed by my father. But I hardly ever visited my mother, you know. So I, I didn't see my mama too often. Now, around the time that I turned 17 years old, my mama's mama, she died. She was, what's that word you guys use? Nifter. She was nostalgic from the world. Uh, yeah, right. So she passed on. So anyways, so my mama's mama died. And my mama decided that even though she wasn't religious, for my mama's mama's sake, for my grandma's sake, 
she wanted to observe Shiva. Now, by the way, <laughs> just in case you didn't figure it out, I never understood anything about my grand, my, uh, my grandma, my grandfather. I never knew them. You understand? Because uh, they were Jewish, and, and I mean, like religious, and so like that kind of presented a problem because my mama and my papa didn't want to have that I should know about it, so they never let me know about my grandma. But anyways, uh, so what happened was is, so my mama decided she's going to sit Shiva, the religious wife. She was going to mourn for her mama the period of the seven days of mourning. Uh, she was going to do that. But why was she going to do that? So she had one brother that remained fully observant all his life. So her brother, Herschler, was a very from person. I see. Very interesting. Yep, it is. Well, did you notice my ears are not interrupting? Uh, what did you just do now? I just wanted to let you know. I was interrupting to let you know that I wasn't interrupting because this is really an interesting story. You, you never told us before, did you? Uh, no, I didn't. I just hope <laughs> that I have no idea how it's going to end. I mean, when it's going to end. So I'll, I hope we can get some phone calls in. And I hope we can work it out that even though I'm not recording in the main studio, maybe we can make a phone hookup and answer the calls. But if it doesn't work out, yes, all you guys out there know, we know you're listening and we're happy and we hope you learn the lessons in the stories. Not just to enjoy yourself and entertain because of the stories. We want you to really learn the lessons as well. Okay. And yeah, I know, like you always say, there's no reason why you can't have fun while you learn. That's right. That's 100% true. Okay. So anyways, uh, back to the story. Oh, uh, yeah. So tell me more. Oh, all right. So I'm going to tell you more. So what happens is, and my mother, when she was sitting Shiva over there together with her brother, now my my uncle, he remained fully religious. Oh, yeah, he was always orthodox and everything like that. Now, during that week, there was a local resident who was involved in what we call a Jewish outreach program. Uh, yeah, that's the word. Yeah, you, you know what? Yeah. Yes, that's what we do originally over here. Yes, yes, go on. Well, anyways, he came to the house quite a number of times not just to be Menachem Orville, but he spoke to my mother a number of times and helping my mother rediscover her Yiddish kite. So his word made such a profound impact upon her that as soon as the shiva ended, she began attending seminars. Yep, yep, yep. She attended like Torah classes and everything, and she was learning more about her Yiddish kite. And before long, my mama, she became fully religious once again. She was, I guess you call it a genuine Baalist tuba. Yep, that's what she did. Then what happened was is she kind of like dropped a bombshell on me. A bombshell? What do you mean by that, if I may ask you? Well, shortly thereafter, after my mother got up from Shiver and she was learning more about this, so instead of her waiting for me to come to visit her, at the East Coast, she came all the way to my father's farm, and uh, she came to visit me. Now, uh, in the course of our conversation, she started to tell me, Well, Joey, I just want to let you know, Joey, that um, I don't know how to tell this to you, but I'm going to tell it like it is. Go ahead, Mama. Go ahead. Tell me like it is. You found somebody you want to get married? No, no, not like that. No, no. 
Instead, what I want to tell you is as follows. You see, I rediscovered uh, my Yiddishkeit, my Jewishness. Your what? What do you mean you discovered your Jewishness? We ain't Jewish. I mean, at least I'm not Jewish. I mean, wait a minute. If you're Jewish, then I'm Jewish. But wait a minute. You never said I was Jewish. I mean, Papa never said I was Jewish. What? 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 What's going on here? Well, you see, um, well, I used to come from a religious home and everything, and then what happened was is, over the years, when uh my parents got divorced and my mother moved, uh somewhere you know around here, and uh bottom line is uh, wait a minute, you telling me? Let me get this straight before you tell me anything. You're Jewish? And that means if you're Jewish, I'm Jewish? That's right. That's right. You see, I I drifted away gradually from all Judaism. All of it. And when I got married to your papa, I, I didn't even want to know about you, this guy. And neither did he. We didn't think of it was anything important because we didn't even go to a synagogue on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Okay. So what what does it got to do with me? Well... We never even told you that you were Jewish. All right. And I have no problem with that. I, I, I think I grew up pretty good. Yes, because we didn't have religion, but we still had moral standards. So let me tell you. Um, you see, um, what happened was is my mama, uh, your grandmother, which I, we, we uh, your papa and I decided that we shouldn't let you see her because then you would realize you're Jewish. And we weren't interested in that at the time. But anyhow, when my mother was Nifter, Nifter, what's that, I asked. And, and she told me, uh, your grandmother, uh, she passed away. She died. And I decided, I'm going to sit Shiva. Shiva, I asked, what's Shiva? And then my mom explained me what Shiva was and everything. And she said, and when I sat Shiva, this person came around and rekindled my flame for Judaism. And I decided he was right. A life without Torah, a life without Yiddishkeit, is emptiness. And so therefore, what happened was is, I became a full religious Jew. I'm learning more and more about my Judaism. And I want you, I want you, do you hear what I'm saying? I want you to learn about Yiddishkeit. I want you to become a religious Jew. I want you to come back to the roots. Just like I did. Well, I said to my mama, Oh, this is like a big bombshell you're dropping on me. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm going to discuss uh, I, I, I'm going to discuss it with Papa, and, and I'm going to think about this. I ain't sure enough. Now, let me guess. Your father, when you spoke to you, uh, your father said, Hey, what you talking about? You ain't going to keep this Yiddish cat. We haven't done that for years. <coughs> I'm not religious. Your mother wasn't religious. And now all of a sudden she became religious, you're telling me? Well, that's what she said. Well, that's very interesting. Well, I got a little secret for you. We ain't Jewish as far as the world knows. And even though I was born Jewish, your mother born Jewish, it don't matter. You understand what I'm telling you? It don't matter. Because this is all hogwash. We don't need this stuff. You understand? And of course. So, uh, 
my 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 father kept telling me, "You stay away from that stuff." You understand? You stay away from uh, that that kind of stuff. You understand? Uh, don't don't even think about it anymore. Don't think about it. And so, sure enough, at first, I I I, I just you know put it out of my mind, and I forgot all about what my mama done told me. Okay. So, anyways, now, but my mama, she was very strong now in her Yiddish guy. She really believed that she was doing the right thing. So she started making frequent contact with me and everything. And when the summer vacation approached, she paid my fare. You understand that? She paid my fare to come all the way from the Midwest, all the way to the East Coast. And I spent two weeks there. You understand? And, and but I didn't mind coming out there. Not because of the Yiddish guy, to tell you the truth. Oh, really? So uh, what did you come out there for? Well, you see, I always wanted to visit the East Coast and see what it's all about. So uh, uh, my mama lived in New York. You understand? Uh, yes. Okay, very good. So what happened during those two weeks? Well, I spent a lot of time with my mama's brother. You know, I told you before, he's very religious and everything. And he introduced me to many of the observant relatives. I had a lot of religious relatives, of course. And he introduced me and everything, and... They looked very nice, and they acted nice, and very polite. But somehow, I just didn't feel like I fit in. You know, all these guys wearing a religious garb and everything. And some of them wearing those things, which I learned now is called tzitzis and everything. And they were wearing all these things and everything. And, and they were talking Torah talk. And, and, but they were very friendly. They never put me down or anything like that. They were very nice. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I, I just say, you know, started to have mixed emotions, you know. Um, I was impressed with them at one point, but at the same time, I didn't feel comfortable, like I said. So I, I you know, I, I kept saying to myself, my world is elsewhere. My world is elsewhere. It ain't my world. I mean, it's good to know about it, but, it, you know, it ain't no part of me. But despite it all, it was like a bridge was built. A bridge? Ah, I see. Like a, we call it a Kesha. Ah, yeah, yeah. It, you became connected. Well, that's right. Like, yeah, yeah, like a bridge, right? So, anyways, what happened was it. So, uh, when I came uh, home, my mother uh, put me in touch with an outreach professional that was in the area here in Illinois. You know where I am, and and uh, you know he opened his door for me, and he told me about whatever you want. Listen to me. You can come to visit me whenever you want. Yeah. My doors are open to you. Want to come for a Shabbos? Come for a Shabbos. Want to come for a Shabbos meal? Come for a Shabbos meal. You want to ask me any question about you, this guy? Don't be afraid to ask. And don't worry. I'm not going to jump down on you and say, come, become religious. Uh, you know, you have to want to do it. I can just open your eyes and let you see. But you have to want to do it. And so what happens is this person gradually... Had me over quite a number of times. I would come there for meals sometimes, especially on Shabbat and everything. And, and it was just an amazing thing. But then, because my mama obviously must have been praying, and her prayers seemed to have been answered. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, you see, while I was still in high school, I signed up with a bunch of my friends for Army Reserve Training. Okay, I was going to serve and do my duty in the reserve training of the army. You understand? 
Now, out of 130 students in my graduating class, can you imagine, out of 130, close to 80 of us signed up for this service. <coughs> now, my friends and I were used to physical work and everything like that because we're country boys who worked on farms and things like that. So we were eager to see the world because, you know, we didn't travel too much. So upon us graduating high school, and like, for example, at that time when I graduated, I was 18 years old. I headed to Georgia. And in Georgia, I did Army training. Uh-huh. What was it like over there? Oh, they said, okay, you, now you soldiers over here, now get down and do push-ups. Give me 20. Let's go. And as the days went on, give me 50. And as the days went on, let's go. Run, run, run. Carry those backpacks. Come on, come on, come on. Get moving, get moving. Uh, and of course, I mean, we trained very hard and everything like that. So now, um, what happened was this, like, after we did the training in, uh, in Georgia, okay, so what happened is, uh, they give you different options, you know, to pursue your army career. Now, I was thinking about becoming an officer, but, you know, the rule, though, is that once you choose an, an option, you understand, uh, you, you can't change your mind. That means if you decide you want to train in Yahoopersville, you, you, you can't change your mind. I said, no, I decide I want to go in, in Glotzville, you know, can't do that. So I decided, since I wanted to see the world a bit, you know, so I wanted to sign up for more training. Uh, but this time, I wanted to go not to Georgia. I want to go to Germany. You understand? And that's what I want to do. I see. And your mother, how does she feel about this? What's the difference how my mother felt? Well, she was praying for you, obviously. And you seemed to be slowly, or at that time, you were slowly tugging on Yiddishkeit, weren't you? Well, I don't know. But anyway, so my mother, you know, she had other plans for me. She was thinking that while I was in Georgia... She phoned me a number of times, and she begged me that I should come to the East Coast after graduation of the military, of the reserves, and spend some time in something called a, which now I know is called yeshiva. You understand? That was a new term for me. I just know about PS191 or PS53, you know, these kind of things I know about. But I don't know about yeshiva and everything like that. She wanted me to spend some time. So I really had no interest in that, you understand? It was nice to know I'm Jewish, nice to know something about it, nice to know it's an interesting culture and everything. But I, I wasn't interested in being part of it. So I told my mama my decision to go to Germany was already done, and I put in the papers, and it's irrevocable. And then my mama, she go over and she says to me, nothing, nothing is irrevocable. You, know, I want you to know, Hashem runs the world, and he could change anything. And I say it, well, I don't know how he's going to change this because I, I, the papers are in. And so once I go, I got to go, go to Germany and train there for a while. Okay, so whatever. Then all of a sudden, I realized something strange. God must be guiding something here. Oh, really? And what was it that he was guiding? Well, you see, what he did was, you see, I'm waiting for a response about my papers, you know, going in so I can go and travel to Germany and train there. <clears throat> so what happened was then, the uh, master sergeant, I guess, the, you know, whatever it is, came inside, and he said to me, So the boy, is your name Joe? Yes, it is. Why? Well, Joe, I got some news to tell you. I heard you wanted to go to Germany, 
but for some strange reason, uh, you know, uh, your papers got lost. So you're going to have to resubmit papers to go to Germany if you want to go train in Germany. Uh, I have to resubmit my papers? I don't get it. Well, uh, how's this possible? And of course, you understand, Rabbi, that this was like an amazing thing to me. Just think about it for a moment. I mean, here my mom is praying for me that I should not go to Germany. And here, as I tell her, it's not possible because I got the papers and everything. And then all of a sudden the papers got misplaced. Now, what are chances like that? Now, my mama, she said she was taught that that's called hash, uh, hash, hash, uh, hash. Hash Pratius. Yes, yes, yes. Divine guidance by a Kaddish Baruch Yes, yes. So uh, so what ended up happening? What did you end up doing? Well, to tell you the truth, I had the opportunity to, you know, change my options now because I had to refill out the paper. So I still wanted to very much go to Germany and train over there and see Europe, you know. But for some strange reason, and, and, and actually to this day, I have no idea why I chose to do so, but I, I decided in the end to do uh, reserve duty back at home. I was going to do my reserve duty uh, at home instead of going to Germany. I filled out the papers. So what I ended up doing, I returned to my father's farm. Now that same afternoon, I don't know what made me do it, but I did it. I went over and I bought a ticket. I went to the bus station and everything. And I bought a ticket to go visit my mama. And I can't explain why I bought that ticket. Because I, I, I had been so certain that this is not what I wanted to do. I, I, in fact, I still recall that as I drove back all the way back, when I came back to the farm, I was telling myself, I really don't know why I bought this ticket anyways. So, anyways, I spent the next six months, you understand? I, I spent the next six months, I was going back and forth between a yeshiva in the, on the East Coast and then my weekend reserve duty in the Midwest, uh, which was, you know, once a month I had to do my reserve duty. Okay, so now at the yeshiva, I learned to read Hebrew and I learned to put on feeling and everything and I attended some Torah classes. I was not, uh, you know, uh, academically oriented and everything. And I found that studying was quite hard for me. It didn't come easy. So, however, I compensated for this by trying to get connected with my Yiddishkeit. I was helping people in the community. You know, like, you know, all the people couldn't build their own sukkahs and everything. Uh, being that I was pretty handy and pretty strong physical person. So I put my... <coughs> good talent to use, and I help these people build their sukkahs and things like that. Anyways, I felt that, you know, uh, I kind of had like mixed emotions now. I felt like I was standing in two worlds. Yep, that's what it was. So when the six months were up, I still saw myself as a future army officer. Yep, that's right. I saw myself as a future army officer. Mm-hmm, that's right. So what happened was is I decided... I wanted to go to Germany. I wanted to train for six months uh, in, 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 you know, whatever. So, you know, even though I learned, uh, you know, like some Torah, I was able to, you know, put on feeling and say Kriyashma and everything. Uh, you know, it was important to me, but I decided I'm going to go to Germany to train. 
So I packed the expensive feeling that my mama, that she bought for me, and I took a sit along that she bought for me, and I took, you know, because when I prayed, I did wear my kippahs, you know, my yarmulke. I wore it then. So now what happened was is I went through seven months, you hear this? Seven months of intense training in Germany. Uh-huh. That's what I did. Seven months of heavy training in Germany. And the maneuvers we practiced were performed in rugged terrain. Come on, keep moving. Move it, move it, move it. Hey, if you're in battle, what are they going to say over there? Hey, I'm too tired. Let me rest. Those guys are going to shoot at you. And if you're not alert, you're going to be a dead soldier. And we don't want a dead soldier. The only dead soldier we want are the enemy soldiers. Do you got that? Do you understand what I'm telling you? Yes, sir. I understand everything. And, of course, what happened was is one day on a training mission that I was doing in Bergen-Belsen, okay, we received word that our unit was supposed to go to the Persian Gulf and take part in Operation Desert Shield, which later became, I know, I know, I know this one, uh, and eventually became called Operation Desert Storm. Well, thank you, yes, sir, thank you, but I liked it better when you were staying quiet over there. Uh, me too, but it's a great story. I never heard it before. Oh, well, that's because the rabbit Earth never told it before. Well, how come? It's because he didn't notice. He, he first learned this story over Shavuos. When he was learning, he came across this story as a Musa story to uh, give him inspiration that Nishomas are never lost. They always have a chance to come back because every Yid has a pintle Yid inside him. And he can have it kindled, you understand? That small Jewish flame can be rekindled and, and, and become a bigger flame and everything. Anyways, that's why I'm telling my story. Anyways, so now uh, what happened was is we were getting closer to departure and everything. Now, I was training and we were training to fight because they were worried about that that the dictator over there from Iraq, he was going to go over and maybe do chemical warfare and everything. So we were training to fight with these, you know, chemical suits and everything. And I remember how the officer was telling him, All right, you man. Sorry, sir, can't hear you through your mask. Speak a little louder and clearer, please. I should. Are you guys, you've got to have this ability to move quickly and accurately, even in this uncomfortable, hot weather and this heavy, heavy chemical-proof suit. You got that? Uh, yes, sir, we got that. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And, of course, we trained. And one of the things I trained to do was, besides in the rifle range and everything, to use my M16, I became one of those, you know, in every unit and things like this, every platoon, uh, at least one guy carried what we call an M60 lightweight. Well, it's not lightweight, <laughs> but compared to some other stuff, it was lightweight. Anyways, you know, it's better to carry an M60 not M16, M60, machine gun, automatic weapon, you know. And uh, I had to learn how to shoot that while wearing the anti-chemical suit, you know, the protective one, you know, and everything like that. Then eventually I started to be trained, and I did so good at it, they made me chief of communications. You understand that? And I was like a communication chief, but it was a communication chief not for just regular things. You know what a howitzer is? Actually, no. I, unfortunately, unfortunately, I wasn't in the army. I was a person that learned all day. So uh, I was in the army of Hashem, sort of to say. So um, what is a howitzer? 
Well, a howitzer is like a big cannon. Big, big cannon shoots, you know, big, you know, shells and everything. Explosive shells blows up the enemy and everything. Now, there's one called an M109 howitzer. Those howitzers are like a big artillery piece. You understand? Like a big cannon or, you know, an artillery uh, piece. But it's connected in the same way like a tank. You know, a tank has a shorter gun, though. This is not made to chase around people and fight. A tank is made to shoot and maneuver around. But the M60, I mean, excuse me, not the M60, the M109 howitzer, that was made to, like, set up in an area. And then they would adjust the height of the gun and everything. And they would shoot these artillery shells, shoot heavy artillery to destroy the positions of the enemy. And, of course, every howitzer is wired with like four or five different kinds of radios and everything to ensure proper coordination among all the guns because we don't want to, by mistake, hit our own soldiers. You know, a shell cannot be fired unless it had the proper coordinations. My responsibility was very great. I had to to go over and, and, and you know, uh, you know, assess the situation and give the orders and the, and the coordination when everything was coordinated just right, set up the way it's supposed to be. I would give the order to fire. Woo! Boom, boom, boom. Zitz, crack, beam. Yeah, it will fire. Kaboomchka, boomchka. Uh, can I do that one? <laughs> well, that's pretty good. I almost fell for a second. I was back in the war. Anyway, so what happened was this. Uh, so we were fighting on, doing things like that. And we're moving on closer. And it was a pretty quick moving more, by the way. I'm sure you know your history, Rabbi. Yes, I do. Go ahead. Anyways, throughout my stay in the Gulf, I never had a day, by the way, that I would not put on my tefillin and say Kriyashma. Mm -hmm. That was taught to me, and I did that. Now, my fellow soldiers, whether they were black people or white people or, or Chinese people, didn't matter. They respected me for wearing my, <laughs> believe it or not, they didn't call it Teflon. They, they, they couldn't pronounce Teflon, so they called it Teflons. <laughs> well, anyways, so I, I would stand at a distance and, and, and be silent to them as I wrapped myself up in these sacred articles and I prayed. I prayed. Mm -hmm. And my unit was uh, stationed right in the middle of the desert and everything. Now, one day... After a big storm, uh, not a desert storm like that, but a rainstorm, everything like that, we got a package, and my mama sent me some cookies, and then, uh, you know, there was a, a, a sitter that came with a torn cover, and it was given to me because uh, they said that I'm the only one they knew was Jewish around here, so they gave me the sitter. Uh huh. see, very nice, very interesting, so go ahead. Well, anyways, uh, you know, so I... Uh, <laughs> There's about 3,500 soldiers in my, you know, in my division or whatever you want to call it, my brigade, my brigade. There was about 3,500 soldiers and everything like that. It was very interesting, I'm telling you. So what happened was is uh, they figured I'm the only one that knew it was Jewish, so they gave it to me. And it turned out it was mine, but the front cover got ripped off in the rain and everything because the mail was on an open-end truck. It wasn't with a truck that had a roof and everything. So it got ruined and it got some mushkid and mushkid and everything. And I found out later from my mama, she sent me, uh, uh, was my uncle, sorry, my uncle, my mama's brother. She sent me, he sent me this sitter with my name on it, but I, and I, I didn't get it, but I still use that sitter today, you know that? That's very nice, very good. Okay, so now, what happened next? Oh, yeah, yeah, so let me tell you. So, what happened was is, we were going and traveling on, moving on. Now, uh, on, on the second night of the actual ground wall, 
we were kind of moving along a column formation, you understand? Now, this is past the training and the training at the, de at the Desert Shield and everything. Now, it's the actual war going on, okay? And it's no more training, no more practice. This was real. So it was on the second night of the ground war. We were moving along in a column formation, you know, like, like one truck after the other and everything like that. Like a convoy. Uh, yeah, sort of like a convoy. Right, that's right. Anyways, now, my truck was the last truck. And then I spotted that uh, some of the Iraqi soldiers, they were in two T-72 uh, Soviet-built tanks. Now, you know, the Iraqis, they got their weaponry from the Soviets. Anyway, so what happened was is these two T-72 uh, Soviet-built tanks were coming over like a sand dune. You know, like what a sand dune is. Yes, like a mountain of sand. Yes, go ahead. I see. Go ahead. It's a very interesting story. Uh, yeah, yeah, so what happened was this. So, uh, these people, I can only imagine what they were saying to themselves. Well, basically, I got the idea because they were lining up their tanks and they were getting ready to blow us from here to the sky. I'm telling you, woo! But my truck was, like I said, in the last one, and we we're going to be the first one to be targeted, and the Iraqis, oh, they were getting closer, and, and they were like, like, um, they were like seconds away from blowing us out. But then, Baruch Hashem, am I saying it right? Yes, you are. Yeah, Baruch Hashem, you learned to say that right. Go ahead, tell me what happened, Baruch Hashem. Well, Baruch Hashem, all of a sudden, what happened was is, our own tank spotted them. Yep, 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 our own tank spotted them. And the Iraqis were like only seconds away from firing at us. But before they had a chance to fire, our tanks were more accurate more stronger, more uh, uh, accurate, I guess, is the most probable word to use. And they shot at the two Iraqi tanks and blew them up. And man alive, they blew up to such high flames and explosions were loud. Wait a minute, can't do it. <laughs> well, I tell you the truth, there was so much explosions. Like, for another 15 minutes, the ammunition that was in those tanks, they kept blowing and exploding. The flames were very high. Want to do that, Yossi? Well, uh, for 15 minutes straight? No, uh, you could do that. <laughs> I didn't think you wanted to do that. Anyway, so it was blowing up and everything like that. And it was a great miracle. Then, eventually, after about 72 hours without sleeping, can you imagine that? All that training, keep up, we didn't go to sleep. Now, let me tell you what happened. We didn't go to sleep then at all. And what ended up happening was we started to go in towards Kuwait. Now, the American bombers, they were great. They knocked out the convoys and the weaponry and everything. Now, of course, the Iraqi soldiers, when they invaded Kuwait, you know, Kuwait was a very rich country. And, of course, um, they had lots of Porsches. Porsches? No, no, Porsche. You know what a Porsche is? Yeah, I have a Porsche in my backyard. No, 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 not that kind of Porsche. A Porsche is a type of fancy car and elegant Cadillacs and everything like that. And now, because of the bombing in between, they, it, it was all like a heaps of garbage. And as we drove along, all my buddies were very excited and they were talking to themselves, You know something, Max? I'm going to take that. I, I want a Porsche myself. Oh, yeah. Well, I want, I want one. I want the Mercedes-Benz. You can have the Porsche. I'll take the Mercedes. Well, you're going to leave me up with the... the you're going to leave me with uh, the, the, the Cadillac? All right, you know, whatever. 
uh, and of course they were joking around about this because they couldn't take them because they're all blown apart. But I began to realize something. I was witnessing destruction of materialism. Yes, materialism was just going by. I saw fires all around. I realized, wow, trillions of dollars in oil were going up in smoke because the Iraqis, before they pulled out, they set fire to the oil fields. Yep, yep, yep. So trillions of dollars in oil were going up in smoke. And cars that we can only dream about, you know, had joined billions of dollars in modern weaponry to become the largest scrap metal heap in the world. Can you imagine that? All of it was worthless. And so it's pursuit. Now, after miles of driving, and we stopped our truck, we set up our tent. And we were pretty exhausted. And I was wrapped. When I woke up in the morning, I wrapped myself in my feeling, and my cinder, took a, round, <coughs> took a look around, and I saw, nope, I wasn't dreaming. All that heaps of billions of dollars worth of, of, of weaponry and, and armor and everything all destroyed in seconds. Wow. So what good is all the materialistic stuff? And I realized that when my tour of the Army is over, and I come back to the States and I finish, you know, in the Army, I want to, I want to, let me guess, you want to come and rejoin your Yiddish folk, your Yiddish people, your Jewish nation. Is that it? Yep, that's what it is. And now, that's what I want to do. Well, Rabbi Ash, did he join that yeshiva? Did Rosh Shiva take him? Did he? Did he? Ah, uh, yes, the Rosh Shiva took him. The Rosh Shiva took him in full-heartedly. And he had a struggle to learn. Oh, no, so what did he do? Well, what he did was, um, uh, he, well, well, you know what? Um, <clears throat> Joe, uh, Yosef, I mean, you want to tell uh, Yossi? Oh, yeah. Well, you see, I had discipline from the army. Now, even though things are difficult in the army, but one of the things you learn in the army is orders are orders. No matter how hard something is, you got to do it. So I thought of it like that. No matter how hard it was for me to learn, because I wasn't used to it yet and everything like that, so I put my mind to it and I took it like I said, this is an order. I got to learn. And so eventually, I did learn. Wow. So where's this person now? Uh, this person, he's a full from Yid. Yes, yes. And he still davens from that art scroll siddha. And not only that, today he is mamish enjoying the sweetness of Torah and experience the joy of living a life that is truly meaningful. Isn't that an inspirational story? Wow. I hardly interrupted, right? That's right. You were very good this time. Not just good, but very good. Okay, uh, Remnison, uh, are you there? Um, do we have time? No, we don't. Okay, well, one day we're going to find time to be able to see if this hookup from the phone system can work, that I can answer phone calls from where I am. Okay, until then, everybody, have a wonderful Shabbos, and have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.